Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Praise God. Just want to build on what we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks. So if you look at Exodus chapter 23, we're talking about Jesus who is our promised rest. And in book of Exodus chapter 23, this is what God said to Moses and to the people of Israel. Behold, I sent an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place which I prepared. Notice he prepared the place. Beware of him, obey his voice, provoke him not. He will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. But if thou shalt indeed obey his voice and do that what I, that I speak, then I will be an enemy to your enemies. Anybody want God to be an enemy to your enemies? An adversary to your adversaries? For my angel shall go before thee and bring thee into the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and I will cut them off. For thou shalt not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do after their works. But thou shalt utterly overthrow them, and quite break down their images. And ye shall serve the Lord your God, and he shall bless your, bless your bread and your water. I will take sickness away from the midst of thee. And there shall nothing cast their young, nor be barren in thy land. The number of thy days I will fulfill. What promises? It was Moses' responsibility to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt into the promised land. And along the way, many signs and wonders were manifested among them by God that they literally saw they saw so many wonderful things it's beyond our comprehension what they actually saw and you just think about the Red Sea parting and having watched something like that viewed something like that but all that they saw along the way was just beyond what we could imagine well God did his part to bring them to this place that land that flows with milk and honey where he can provide for them protect them care for them where he would promise them health and uh, provision prosperity Anything and everything you could have possibly imagined on this earth was a perfect place for them to live in that they could experience. And that was his intended purpose for them. Well, we understand that unbelief was the reason why they didn't enter into the promised land. And because, not the walled cities, not because of the giants, but because of their unbelief, they failed to enter into the place of God's promise. All these wonderful provisions. Now, they were delivered from Egypt, but they were not in the promised land. It was in the promised land, which is not heaven. It's a place on earth where all these blessings are, where they could be enjoyed and experienced. Look at the book of Hebrews chapter 3, and you'll notice it's important to read these verses because they tell the story. But Christ, a son after, a son over his own house, whose house we are we, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing hope firm to the end, wherefore is the Holy Ghost saith. Who's saying it? The Holy Ghost. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in a provocation. In the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. Wherefore was I grieved with that generation, and said they do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, therefore, take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily. Notice this. Daily while it's called today. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ. If we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. 
While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in a provocation for some, when they had heard, did provoke, how be it not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. But with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into, notice it's his rest, but to them that believed not. So we see that they could not enter in. Why? Because of unbelief. Not because of the circumstances, not because of the giants, not because of the walled cities, not because of all the uh, hurdles, the mountains that were in the way and the Red Sea that was before them. It was because of unbelief that they could not enter into the promises of God for their lives. Well, Moses represents the law. And he represents people trying to do their own good works to be justified before God or reconciled to God. That's what it stood for. That's what he stood for. In the book of Galatians, I want you to notice in chapter 3, man can never be justified by his good works. That was an impossibility. But let's read it. For as many as are under the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that, continues, that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident for the just shall live not by works, not by the law, but by what? By faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. So we see in these verses here that no one can be justified by the works of the law. And that's exactly what Moses stood for. So they couldn't get in because of the works of the law. And that's why they failed. But then pick it up in verses 19 through 25 and notice. Wherefore then serve the law? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator, Moses. Now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Is the law against the promises of God? God forbid. For it, if there had been a law which, given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the scripture had concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster or tutor to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster or a teacher or a tutor. So the law was provided so that we can understand we can't be saved by our good works. We can't be saved by keeping the law. The only way that we could be saved would be by faith, but not faith in ourselves, faith in Christ, faith in the works that he would accomplish, his finished works upon Calvary's cross and also in the work of redemption. Well, they fell under the leadership of Moses, but God raised up Joshua. Look at Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8. We talked about this last week. He raised up Joshua, who stands for grace by faith. By grace are you saved through faith. And he told Joshua, as I was with Moses, so will I be with you. But now there's going to be a difference here. And the difference is this. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. 
There was going to be a transition that would take place. God is going to raise up a people of faith, a new breed under the leadership of Joshua. And he was going to instill faith within the hearts of the people, not like the other leaders that instilled doubt within their hearts and unbelief within their hearts, and they failed to enter in. He was going to preach and teach and share some thoughts, which we'll share with you in a moment, about how they could use their faith to rise up and possess everything that was theirs by inheritance. Joshua grew in his faith exceedingly. Look at Joshua chapter 10 and notice verses 12 through 14. Then spake Joshua to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, picture yourself being there when he says this, sun stand still upon Gibeon and thou moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still. And the moon stayed until the people had avenged themselves upon their enemies. Is not this written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and hasted not to go down about a whole day. And there was no day like that before it or after it that the Lord hearkened unto the voice of a man for the Lord fought for Israel. I want you to notice under the leadership of Moses, when they found themselves in situations that they needed to be delivered out of Egypt or other situations, what did Moses have in his hand that he used? The rod. He used Aaron's rod that budded. And with the Egyptians, the rod was thrown to the ground. It ate up all the other snakes of them, the others. But it was used to part the Red Sea, stretch forth a rod. Did you notice he didn't tell Joshua to get out your rod or get out Aaron's rod that budded? Mm -mm. He didn't use the rod. He used his mouth. He used his mouth. Speak to the sun. Now, you can't speak to the sun if God doesn't tell you to speak to the sun. And you're not going to speak to the moon unless God tells you to speak to the moon. Everything we say must be rooted and grounded in what he said. You can speak to your mountain because he said speak to the mountain and it would remove, right? But look at the transition here. Here we have the works of the law and the rod. But now we have faith and the spoken word. Joshua was going to teach them certain principles. And they were to use these principles to speak the word over their situations they would encounter in life. And this is teaching us how to experience our promised land, our place of rest in Christ. How? By faith. It's by grace through faith that we conquer and experience the fullness of our redemptive rights or our inheritance. In Joshua chapter 5 and chapter 6, we're not going to take time to look at all these scriptures, but they're in there. I've taught this many times before, but I just want to re remind us of what Joshua taught the people. Because he's the one that succeeded to get them into the promised land. And if we want success in getting into our promised land, experience our inheritance, it's the same principle. So number one, the first thing that he taught the people, and God taught him to teach this to the people, told him to do it. Number one, he said, our enemies defeated. He told the people, all the people gathered together, I want you all to know here, our enemies defeated. Remember the first time? Oh, they're warriors, they're big, they're giants. Uh-uh. Not with Joshua. What are we facing here? Your enemy is defeated. 
How, what do we say? Satan is defeated. Satan has been defeated by the Lord Jesus Christ. Our enemy is defeated. What enemy are we facing today? Sickness, disease, or whatever it might be, mental anguish, whatever it is. It's been defeated. We need to educate ourselves with that revelation. The enemy is defeated. Number two, we have a covenant with God. In other words, he was telling all the Israelites, do you realize that we are the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? We have a covenant with the living God. Declare that. Understand that. Know what that means. That God's in a covenant relationship with you. He's going to defend you and fight for you. Well, guess what? Ours is better. They had a covenant, but we've got a better covenant established upon better promises. We need to put these words in our heart and in our mouth. Number one, our enemies defeated. Number two, we've got a better covenant than what Israel had because we've got the new covenant sealed with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Number three, remember where you were and remember where you are and how you got to where you're at. And where were they? They were in Egypt as slaves. Where are they at now? At the edge of the promised land. How did they get there? God brought them out by a series of staggering miracles that shook Egypt to its very foundation. Oh, praise God. That's how they got there. But they're not going to get any further until they start operating in faith. Now it's time to operate in faith and unleash the miracle power of God. Well, where are we? You know where we were? We were in the realms of darkness. We were bound by satanic powers. We were dead in our sins and trespasses. And Satan had jurisdiction over all of our lives. But guess what? That's where we were. Where are we at now? We're children of the Most High in the kingdom of Almighty God. How did we get here? He brought us out. He delivered us, praise God, by the power of his might, by the blood of the lamb. He brought us out. We're no longer slaves to the devil. We're under the jurisdiction of the king of kings and lord of lords. We are in the family of God and we're on our way to glory, praise God. That's where we're at right now. And that's how we got here. But then next, it's a new day. It's a new day. When Jesus said, well, for them, let's start with there, when, when he said in Joshua chapter 5, the day of manna had ceased. It came to an end. After all these years of being fed manna, all these years, it's a new day. That's going to end. That's finished. It's stopping. Jesus said in that day, a new day he was speaking of. What day? The day we're living in right now. This day, right here and right now. But what he meant back then, it is finished on the cross. If you recall the words of Jesus, it is finished. He meant... The Abrahamic covenant. He meant the law. He meant the types. The shadows. The sacrifices and the Sabbath day. Are all fulfilled in him. It's finished. It's a brand new day. Well let's, let's digest that. It's not going to be like it's been before. It is a brand new day. Praise God. So it's up to us to recognize, put it in our heart and our mouth. We're not living in the day that they lived in. We're living in a brand new day. This is a new day. We've got a better covenant than they, what they had. We have a relationship with God that's better than what they had. We are the spiritual seed of Abraham. Praise God. Hallelujah. The children of the Most High God. The next thing was number uh, five is we're not alone, Joshua told them. How can he say that? Because he said to them, there stood by me. 
the captain of the host of the army of the living God. And I asked him, are you for us or for our enemies? And he said, I'm with you. I'm on your side. And we know that that was Jesus manifest in the flesh because he bowed down before him, praise, manifest on earth during that time. And he saw him there because he didn't say to get up, don't worship me. He wasn't an angel. So we know that Jesus appeared to him, showed himself to him and said, you're not alone. I'm on your side. Well, beloved, thank God that you and I can say what? In Romans 8, 31, if God be for us, who can be against us? Thank God he is for us. He is with us. He's on our side. He is even in us. And if he be for us, who can possibly be against us? These are the principles of faith that we build within our hearts, line upon line, precept upon precept, so we can use them to stand against all the opposition that comes against us in this life. So we're not alone. The next one is, God's already given you the land. He told all, he told all these people, God has already given you the land. It is yours. It belongs to you. It's your inheritance. God's given it to you. Well, he gave them the land but he gave us Jesus. God so loved the world, he gave us his only begotten son. And if he gave us him, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? He's given us in Christ all things that pertain to life and godliness. He's given us in Christ the entirety of the kingdom of God and the keys to the kingdom. He's given us power and authority over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means harm us in any way. He has given us all these things. They belong to us, praise God, in Christ. And then the last one, whatever he says to do, do it. So he told all the people, now look, all this is ours. And we're going to take that land, but whatever he tells you to do, that's what you need to do. Do it. I cannot emphasize how important this is to each and every one of us. We can have a general knowledge and understanding of the things that belong to us. But, you know, God wants to have a close relationship with us, a close fellowship with us. He wants us to communicate with him and go to him and ask him, okay, we know this belongs to us. Now, what do we need specifically to do? If you remember, he told Jehoshaphat, who said, my eyes are upon you, our eyes are on you. We don't know what to do, Lord, our eyes are on you. And then he gave them a, a revelation by the prophet and told them exactly what to do. And they sent out the praisers and they got victory. Okay, he's telling them exactly what to do. Whatever God says to do, it may sound silly. It may sound illogical. It may sound crazy that you're going to do something like that. Go dip in a river seven times. Go wash in the pool of Siloam when you're blind, you can't see. Pick up your mat and walk when you're a cripple. You can't even get up to, to pick up your mat and walk. He may tell you and me to do something that seems illogical to us, but yet we need to have his mind. And so when he said to Joshua, speak to the sun and tell it to stand still. Speak to the moon. Likewise. Can you imagine him doing that and people watching time stop for 24 hours? So they can defeat the enemy. And how could he do it? Why could he do it? Because God gave him the word to do it. He put that word in his heart and mouth. And he spoke it out. And the rest is history. So whatever he says to do. Now remember what Mary told uh, the people that were going to fill the water pots with water. And take it to the governor. Right? Remember? Whatever he says to do. Do it. If he says to speak to your mountain. Then speak to your mountain. If he says, tell your pain to leave your body with authority in the name of Jesus Christ, 
If he says to speak to that arthritis and say in Jesus name, you know what? I'm telling you right now, you can't stay. This is my body. It's the temple of the most high God. You can't stay. Speak to your checkbook and say, multiply in the name of Jesus. You need a job, start speaking it. Put a, set it out in motion. Praise God, I am speaking the word of life. So he's told us, we don't have a rod in our hands. And sometimes it would be nice to have a rod in your hand, especially like when you're in a counseling session and you, you see a situation that's so difficult, you could just pull it out, open up your drawer, pull it out and smack them on the... Boom, boom, and everything goes away. Everything is taken care of. Wouldn't that be wonderful? He said, no. Put the word in your heart. Put the word in your mouth and proclaim it, declare it, and decree it. Someone said, I tried that, but it didn't work. Really? It doesn't work by trying. It works by doing. I'm going to do it, praise God. I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. We say till the cows come home. I'm just going to say it. Hallelujah. Okay, that was them. This is us. Look at Matthew chapter 11, 28 through 30. Their land was a literal geographical location on the earth called Canaan's land. The land that flowed with milk and honey. The land in which he was going to bless their bread, their water, take sickness away from the midst of them, fulfill the number of their days, be an enemy to enemy and adversary to their adversary. Wasn't he going to do that for all them? Then he said he would do that, fulfill the number of their days and all that. No one cast their young before the time, etc., etc. But here Jesus says... Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Remember he said it was the rest he had provided for them that they failed to enter into under Moses. But they entered that rest under Joshua. But he still spoke in another place of another rest. And we'll get to that in just a moment. But Jesus said, come to me. Have you come to him? Well, he wants to give us all rest. Take my yoke upon you. And here's the key. Learn of me this is the key we're saved we're born again we're washed in the blood but that's not enough to experience our inheritance we need to learn of him i am meek and lowly of heart you shall find rest unto your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light so we've come to him we've come to the edge of the promised land he is Praise God, all the blessings. He is our inheritance. They're all found in Him. But we have to learn of Him. We have to know what He has provided for us. We have to know what belongs to us. Because if we don't, then we won't have the faith so that we can receive it all or experience it all. So, in Hebrews chapter 4, some points to really make. Unbelief can prevent us as it prevented them from experiencing our rest in Christ, which is our promised land, the fullness of our benefits and rights and privileges. Look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. We just read all the way up to that last verse in Hebrews chapter 3. Now it picks up here in verse 1. Let us therefore fear what? Lest the promise being left us of entering into his rest. He's not talking about being saved. He's talking about entering into our inheritance. Any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit or benefit them, not being mixed with what? Faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed to enter into rest, as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, that they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he spake at a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. 
And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest, seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. Notice what he's talking about here. We've had the gospel preached to us. We have a place of rest. It's called in Christ. In him we have the full inheritance that belongs to us because he purchased it with his blood. In this place, he says, I will protect you. I'll provide for you. I'll give you health, prosperity, provision. I will give you everything that you need to experience and enjoy to succeed in this realm of life. But it's all found in him. And it's by faith that we enter into it. It's called the place of his rest. Well, unbelief can keep us out if we don't mix faith with it. Jesus is, he goes on to say, our Sabbath day rest look at verse 7 starting with verse 7 he's our sabbath day rest again he limited the certain day saying to david today after so long a time as is it is said today if you will hear his voice harden not your hearts for if jesus that should be joshua same same spelling in the greek there it's joshua had given them rest then would he not afterward have spoken of another day that there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of god for he that is entered into his rest he also has ceased from his own works as God did from his. Notice what he says here. He ceased from his own works as God did from his. Let us labor therefore to enter into that rest. Lest any man should fall after the same example of unbelief. Notice he said the rest that we're entering into is not the rest of the Jewish Sabbath. You notice he didn't say that. Notice he said as God rested from his works that takes us back to creation and in creation we see that on day one he separated the darkness from the light and then it goes right on down on day seven what did God do he rested he ceased from his works but the question is did he cease from all of his works no he couldn't have he ceased from his works in creation he wasn't creating anything more. There was no need to create anything else. But he did not cease from his works of mercy and redemption. His works of love and redeeming mankind. He didn't end those works. Look at John's gospel. You'll see this in John chapter 5. Jesus speaking himself. This is from the New King James Version. For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done this things, these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father has been working until now. Notice, the father's working. And I have been working. So he's not talking about creation. He's not continuing a work of creation. God the father continued working for your benefit and for my benefit. To work out redemption and salvation to show his mercy by sending Jesus for us. He kept working and when Jesus came, he kept on working. And what did he say? I'm not doing the work, but my father in me, he's doing the work. So he's not talking about a Jewish day, seventh day, Saturday rest. He's talking about he rested from the works of creation and that's it. But he kept on working. Now look at here in Colossians chapter 2. The Jewish Sabbath day was a shadow or a picture of this rest. It was a shadow. It was a picture of something that Christ would do. In Colossians chapter 2, and this is from the New Living Translation, it was a shadow of the real Sabbath that was going to take place. 
You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on it. And so don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. Now let me explain that. If there's a family of four. Mother, father, two young children. The father gets called to go into the armed forces. He has to go away for maybe a year and a half, two years to do active duty overseas. And the family, of course, they're hurting because they don't see their dad and she doesn't see her husband. And there she puts a picture on the table, coffee table in the living room. And every night before the kids go to bed, they all look at their father. And she looks at her husband. That's a picture of him. And it helps them have a visual to see him. But you know as well as I do, that's not really him in the flesh. He's across the sea. Well, this time goes by, a year and a half goes by, 18 months go by, and there they are as they gather every night, and they're looking at the picture of their father and her husband. All of a sudden, the door opens, and he comes walking in. The two children run over, they see their father, and they run into his arms and embrace him. But the wife, she just sits there looking at the picture. What's wrong with this picture? That's a shadow. That's a picture. He's over there hugging the kids. Why are you still sitting there looking at the picture? The Old Testament Sabbath was a picture. It was a shadow of the reality of Christ who is our Sabbath. The Sabbath is no longer a day. The Sabbath is a person. And the person's name is Jesus Christ. And he is our Sabbath. We could look to him who is the fulfillment of all that. Praise God. So, you want to know why we don't worship as Christians on Saturday? I'm talking about there are some churches, there are some doctrines that believe in the Sabbath day has to be the day of rest and you have to keep it just like you keep the Sabbath, just like the Jewish people keep the Sabbath day. And actually, some of them feel like as though that you're not a Christian if you don't worship on, a sa- on the Sabbath day. And they say this is the legitimate Sabbath. See, their problem is they're like that wife. They keep looking at that picture there. What they forget to realize is the fact that the Sabbath is no longer a shadow. The reality has come. I have a shadow. You have a shadow. But your shadow is not you. You are the reality. The shadow is only that picture or that image of who you are. And so on resurrection morning, do you know what happened on resurrection morning? Something that took place way back in the very beginning, day one. Resurrection morning was called day one after the crucifixion, the first day of the week. Not the seventh day, but the first day of the week. The first day of the week, what took place was this. In the beginning, God separated the darkness from the light, right? Well, when Jesus came out of the grave on the first day of the week, 
He separated the darkness from the light. And the light of the knowledge of the glory of God arose from the dead, praise God, destroying all the powers of darkness. And there was a separation once and for all. And now we can come to the light. Or you can stay in the darkness if you want. It's the first day of the week. And that's why we worship on Sunday. Because praise God. The darkness and the light are separated on that day. Once and forever. For always. And we're in the light. Aren't you glad you're in the light? He brought the light out of the darkness and to shine in our hearts the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So these people that feel as though you've got to be a good Christian by on the Sabbath day, that's when you have to separate on that day. And it's, it's really, it's like legalism. It's the law. You have to, that whole day, you can't do anything. They're looking at the picture. They don't see the reality. So you can say that they're just staring at the picture. When Jesus is right here to be embraced. Thanks be to God that we have the victory. Through the reality of what he's done for us. Can you say amen? So our labor involves learning. Now pick this up in the next verse in Hebrews chapter 4. I want us to see this. It's so important. Because it all goes together. From chapter 3 when he said Moses couldn't bring them in. To chapter 4 but Joshua did. And a warning to us, you need to understand how to experience by faith your inheritance in Christ and enter into that place of rest. Stop trying to get what you already have. You already have it. Rejoice. Now, here's what it says. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. And the word labor there in the Greek actually means use speed to learn as quickly as you possibly can so you can enter into that rest lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, the joints and marrow, as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed in, into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession or confession of faith. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. All this goes together. And what he's saying is for us to learn as much as we can, as quickly as we can, about the fulfillment of Christ, all that he did to fulfill the law, all that he did for, to fulfill the Abrahamic covenant, all that he did to make provision for us to experience our inheritance, and he is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, and we're to learn about him, knowing he's our high priest, our mediator, our advocate, our intercessor, our guarantee of the covenant, and all we have to do is to get this word, put it in our heart and our mouth, and start speaking to the Son and to the moon just like Joshua did or speak to the mountain like he told us to do like he spoke to the fig tree and start saying I know now I know praise God I'm victorious I know I'm an overcomer speak to that pain speak to whatever it is overcome it how by faith in the finished work of Christ we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony what's the victory that overcomes the world even our faith notice what the rod was in the hand of Moses is now, praise God, in us, the heart 
and the mouth, the word of God. That rod stood for the word of God. But we've got the word of God on the inside of us now. And we can speak it. We can declare it. We can proclaim it. How did you get into Christ? You confessed yourself into Christ. Romans chapter 10 says, The word of faith is near you, it's in your heart and mouth. The word of faith that we preach, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. With the heart man believes to righteousness. With the mouth confession is made to salvation. Put down the rod and start speaking the word, praise God. And that's how we got into Christ. And that's how we experience all the blessings that we have. We find out what belongs to us. And you know what? We refuse to take no for an answer from the devil. Not from God, but from the devil. And we put him where he belongs, under our feet. And we declare what belongs to us by faith. And we exercise our authority and we walk in victory. It belongs to us. And that's our inheritance. So do we want the blessings of God? Then it's time to do what? Speak God's word to your situation. Let's all stand together before the Lord.